I want to begin this morning by doing something super simple. You can all participate if you'd like to, um, just to see where your convictions lie. Some people debate about whether or not fruit should go on pizza. So how many of you think pineapple belongs on pizza? Okay. All right. I won't ask for those of you who don't because we kind of know now. Um, LeBron, Jordan, or Kobe? LeBron. Who's the GOAT? Who's the greatest of all time? LeBron? Jordan? Any Kobe's? I didn't ask about the other things. Uh, Maybe we need to make this simpler. Um, Pizza Hut or Papa John's? Do you think La Casa is real pizza? We were just fighting about this in the office. And haters gonna hate. That's all I have to say. Hawkeyes or Hawkeyes? Huskers. Of course. Of course. There are some wildcats. Are they here today? Oh, yeah. And they like, they, they have a big voice in the church. <laughs> all right. Enough silliness. Um, we, we all have, it's proof to me that you have convictions. Everyone has convictions. Now, sometimes our convictions are about trivial things, um, not so important things, but we like to fight about the issues and it kind of keeps life interesting because we have different tastes and different convictions about things. Well, this morning we're going to talk about convictions in a far more important sense, uh, convictions about who Jesus is, what he did, what he said, and how it's super important that we have strong biblical convictions because it helps us to keep our priorities straight. So in 2 Corinthians, and I'd love to have you turn there now, we're studying the book of 2 Corinthians as a church. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is trying to help a church. He's trying to help Christians like us who don't have settled convictions about who Jesus is, about what Jesus did, about what Jesus taught. And even though they may be well-meaning, they don't know those things. They're not grounded, and so they they don't have settled convictions, and therefore they're easily... um, made prey of. They're easily misled by those who claim to be Christians, those who claim to be apostles and who aren't. And so uh, it's a real problem. So throughout 2 Corinthians, in a sense, the whole book is about having settled convictions so you have settled priorities so you're not easily made prey of. And so we'll get a flavor for this today, but really it's throughout the whole thing. Uh, He's attempting to express his convictions that he has because he was with Jesus and taught by Jesus so that then the church can own those convictions and so they can be stable, steady, and have their priorities straight. So that's where we're headed this morning. If you're looking at 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read verses 11 to 21 and then we'll take a second look. So note, note the, 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 the con- conviction-laden speech. Therefore, verse 11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. 
because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want a big, long pause because whatever I say next isn't as important as what you just heard. (laughs) What we'll do now is, is look a little closer and we'll be able to identify eight priorities. Maybe there are nine, maybe there are 12, maybe there are two, but I'm going to offer you eight priorities to at least help us walk through and talk through what he's really getting at here with this church trying to help them. So eight priorities that come from settled convictions regarding Jesus who he is, what he's done, and what he has said. These are things for us so that we can be stable and steady. Uh, The the Corinthian church is is at a place where they're listening to these individuals who claim to be apostles. They claim to speak for Christ. They claim to have new revelation. uh, And what they're teaching and promoting is contrary to what Jesus has said. It's contrary to what the apostle Paul has come to believe and own. And it's just creating a big mess. And they're anything but stable. And the Corinthian church is anything but able to do the ministry that they need to do in Corinth. So if you don't own it, you can't really um, proclaim it, if you will. So I hope this helps you if you're a Christian. I hope it helps you if you're just trying to figure it out. I hope it helps us as a church and for you as a church member to play your part in this church so that we can have settled convictions and therefore have priorities that are above other things. Ready to go? Hope you're ready to go. I don't think we're going to get done today. Uh, as I was just reading it, I thought, oh, stuff at the end. Oh, sermon series coming. Uh, <laughs> so good. So hope we have a little fun with it as well. So first priority for authentic ministry we can identify and highlight here is knowing the fear of the Lord. Knowing the fear of the Lord is the first priority for authentic ministry. Knowing the fear of the Lord. We'll just take the first portion of verse 11. You can see it there. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Even knowing is a conviction kind of word. It's a settled kind of word. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. That's a priority. Now, I know he says something related to this, and we'll relate one and two, but let's Just have it be fear of the Lord first. We know the fear of the Lord, so it guides us. Now, I don't think he means the fear of God's wrath, even though if you're not in Christ, you should fear God's wrath. But because of what he said earlier, he was talking to Christians. You're going to give an account one day. Uh, This is not a free-for-all. This is not make it up as you go and really show your creativity and do whatever you want in ministry. It's not throw the directions away and follow your heart or whatever it is. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord 
we do certain things. Therefore, knowing we're accountable, we do certain things. Don't take my word for it that it's connected to what came before. That Everyone says in Bible college, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, it points us above. Knowing the fear of the Lord. Well, look at verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Uh, Before that even, verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Now again, unbelievers fear condemnation. It doesn't seem, we talked about it last time, that's what's in view. He's talking to Christians and we want to please the Lord. We want to honor Him. We want to seek His pleasure. We know He knows what's best. And so the Apostle Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we're going to do what we do. Let's remember we need to start with Jesus is not our buddy or our pal or our mere friend. Um, He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the great exalted one. He's our Savior, and we're going to give an account to Him one day. Well, I want to do what's right. Remember Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's His. It belongs to Him. I don't want to pretend like Omaha Bible Church is a local expression of His church is my church. It's his. It belongs to him. So let's have the mindset. We can't just have it be a free-for-all and kind of make it up as we go. It's his church. We need a fear of Christ. Again, not a fear of condemnation. Condemnation happened in what he did for us. But that we'll give an answer one day. Think of all the just patently obvious kinds of ministries that you see and you think, how in the world did they end up there? You think, what? what what, in the, what? Well, could we at least start by acknowledging that when we forget that we're accountable to the Lord Jesus, some really crazy things are probably going to happen. And before you know it, we're completely out of whack. Knowing the fear of the Lord. He's different. He's exalted. He's the one we'll give an account to. Let's move on to the next priority that's related. Priority number two, persuading. They're all I-N-G words. Persuading others to please Christ. Persuading others to please Christ. We see this in the second part of verse 11. There, we, we had therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing that we're going to give an account, we, we can't let well enough alone. Now, again, we have a choice to make interpretively. Um, if he's talking about unbelievers, that's true. I don't think that's what he has in mind, but that's true in a different text, in a different setting. Because everyone is under condemnation and because we're all sinners, I tell unbelievers to trust in Jesus because you're in trouble. Right? I don't want God to hold their sins against them. Knowing the condemnation coming of the Lord, that kind of fear, I persuade unbelievers to believe in Jesus. That's for sure true. I just don't think that's what he has in mind here. You might think that's what he has in mind. We could still be friends. Okay? Because what you're, what you're believing is true. But I think here he has in mind, the reason he's not just letting the Corinthians drift and let's just let bygones be bygones and let's let well enough alone and it's not a big deal and... Knowing the fear of the Lord that we're going to stand before Him, judgment seat of Christ as believers, we persuade people. Uh, This is not about me wanting to manipulate your life. 
This is not me on a, on a power trip, authority trip, and I love telling you what to do, I think is the sense the Apostle Paul has. But knowing that you'll stand before God as I will, because he said he would too, I want to persuade you that this is not good. This is not a good road to go down. It would really be important for you to get back on track about what Jesus did, who Jesus is, and what Jesus taught about himself and communicated to his apostles. So it's not wrong for you. You're called to love others. It's not wrong for you to want to help other people when they're into wackadoodleism or whatever it is. It, it, it's, it's knowing the fear of the Lord. We, we persuade people. Have you, have you lost your ever-loving mind? You know, what, what are you doing believing that? What are you doing practicing that? This is not good. We, we all give an account one day. Seems to be what he's getting at. It's what I would want to get at. Let's do the right thing as individuals and as, as a church because we're going to give an account one day. I don't, I don't want it to be a waste. Not to mention a disgrace. Let's move on to a third priority for authentic ministry, and that's valuing God's opinion most. Valuing God's opinion most. Oh, I wanted to say more things about number two, and I forgot. Oh, well, time to move on. Nothing to see here. Uh, (laughs) Number three. Valuing God's opinion most. We see it in verse 11 as well at the end there. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. The accusation is the Apostle Paul's out of his mind. The Apostle Paul's in for money. The Apostle Paul, you name it. We know he's wrong because he's not rich. We know he's wrong because he's not healthy. We know he's wrong because he's not the best orator in town, or at least he refuses to practice his or- oratory skills. Accusation, 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 accusation. And he's saying, you know what? What we are is known to God. Whatever. And he, he also positively, and I hope it is also known to your conscience, I, I, I hope you know deep down inside that what we're saying is right. Pretty good, pretty good mindset, right? Mindset, pretty good mindset in general. But also a good mindset when you um, think of yourself as a believer in Christ. You do your best. You try your best. You try to be kind, gen- gentle, generous, clear, explaining yourself as much as you can when you think it's appropriate. At the end of the day, though, when the maligning happens and the criticism have happened and all of the other things happen, you have to say, you know... At the end of the day, it's unknown to God. Sometimes we don't like, I mean, I'm not a fan of saying follow your heart. um, Because usually what we mean is, go ahead and do what's wrong even though it's wrong. Okay? Oh, God knows my heart. Usually I would want to say that's not a good idea. I I don't want God to know my heart. If I could hide my heart, I would. Because sometimes I do external things pretty good and it's my heart that's not in it. And oh no, God knows my heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is wicked. But in a, in a different sense, God knows your heart. If you actually are doing the right thing, Paul's preaching Christ, not self, not health, wealth, and prosperity kind of thing that was going on even then. He's only preaching Christ. And at the end of the day, even with all of the accusations, he's saying in a good sense, God knows my heart. 
He's my judge. I'm going to stand before him one day. Let me just remind you that that's a really good thing to keep remembering, to have that kind of priority. You, you do your best with God's help, counsel, wisdom, but at the end of the day, you've got to trust the Lord. We value his opinion the most. It's a healthy mindset for us to have. Number four, next priority for authentic ministry is, sorry, these are getting longer, maybe, equipping with appropriate answers. Equipping with appropriate answers. Paul's going to equip the Corinthians with appropriate answers to the criticisms that are coming against them and him. Verse 11, or excuse me, verse 12 says, we are not commending ourselves to you again. Probably reading into that, that's an accusation. The Apostle Paul always trying to commend himself, always just defending himself, commending himself. It's all about him. And probably using that verbiage, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast, probably another The Apostle Paul boasting about himself, boasting about his time with Jesus, so clear and dogmatic about everything. And he's saying, no, we're not doing that here, even though that's the way those guys talk. But giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able, here's what's important, I think, able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Paul's trying to help them in in, in 2 Corinthians. Let me help you understand. Again, I'm making it oversimplified. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, what Jesus has made clear. And and, and that's explaining why I preach Christ and not self. Uh, I'm trying to help you understand that this is a tent in the here and now. It's not our ultimate dwelling. And it's not ultimately about the here and now. Jesus was raised from the dead. He promised we'll be raised from the dead. We're not glorified yet. He's trying to teach them all of these things so that they can say, they'll be equipped to say, the Apostle Paul is right. What he's been saying is right. He's been telling the truth. What he's been saying aligns with what Jesus said when he was on earth. What he's been saying even aligns with what the Old Testament promised. The Apostle Paul is right in this argument. We're going to boast in him in that sense. I think that's what he's getting at. He's equipping them with answers so that they can be able to answer appropriately. Not inappropriately. Not just who has a better personality or who has more clout and influence or who's the bigger celebrity or whatever it is. He's equipping them with the real answers, the legitimate answers, so that they can have a theology, if you will. I shouldn't put it in. A theology of Christ and humans and salvation and glorification and to see that Paul's on track. He's on track. Equipping them with sound theological thinking. And again, if we want to say, well, We're not Paul and we're not in the same scenario, but that's what we want to do. I don't have an answer for everything, but to the best of my ability, I want to provide sound theological rationale and reasoning, biblical reasoning, so you can give an answer to those who are critics. By the way, you have to know stuff to be able to do that. You have to know stuff to be able to do that. The Corinthians needed to know know, the Corinthians needed to know more stuff from someone else so they could be equipped to do it. 
speaking about their convictions. If they owned this stuff, then they would be stable and they would say, Faker, McFaker, apostles, get out of town. And it would be no big deal. Let's move on to number five. Number five, the next priority for authentic ministry is rolling with criticisms. Rolling with criticisms. And I'm using that statement like rolling with the punches. The criticisms are going to come. Rolling with the punches, rolling with the criticisms. But before we read verse 13, um, let me just fill your mind with, with what was said about Jesus. Many of them said in John chapter 10, he has a demon, he is insane. So let's just do some ABC learning here. Many people said Jesus has a demon and he's insane. That's what they said about Christ. Last time I checked, Christian is related to the word Christ. It's what you signed up for. What you signed up. There are people who are going to think you're crazy. That you are the wackadoodle, McWackadoodle, or whatever else we want to make up. That you're the one who's lost your mind. And don't have that be this total shocker like the Corinthians. <gasps> They're insulting our intelligence. <gasps> They're making fun of us. <gasps> oh no, they think we're not sophisticated enough. <gasps> oh no, they say if we believe that's what crazy people, people if we believe that, that's, that's what crazy people believe. Oh, we've, we've got to change. Listen to what he says in verse 13. I love it. For if we are beside ourselves, literally, if we are wacko McMackadoodle, <laughs> if we've lost our minds, okay? If we're beside ourselves, if we're insane, if we're, if we're the, 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 the nutty ones, but if, we've, if we are beside ourselves, it's interesting how he puts it, it is for God. It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. What, what is he saying? If we're insane, it's for God because this is what God revealed to us. We're sticking to the script. We're, we're following the script. This is the thing. Oh, and by the way, I'm reaching to John chapter 10. This is what they said about Jesus, the one who would be raised from the dead, the one who would be proven right and not the crazy one, not the one with the demon. And so if we are crazy people, as the Brits say, if we're the nutters, okay? If we're the nutters, then it's for God. God be the glory. When we preach a crucified Savior, a crucified Lord, raised from the dead, who says, believe in me and you will have eternal life. If we're crazy for believing that, then we do it for the glory of God is what he's saying. But then he also says, if we're in our right mind, it's for you. Believers hear it and respond and say, I'm going to trust in that Savior. And the Apostle Paul is saying, we, this is for you. The Apostle Paul's target audience is not the wolves. Okay? It's not the wolves. It's not the goats either. His target audience, even if he might not know who they are, are the sheep. Jesus said the sheep, what? They hear my voice. How about, how about this as a great cross-reference? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says, Therefore I endure everything, even being called crazy, for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I, I do everything I do. I go through this whole big disaster of a life sometimes, being called crazy. I do all things for the sake of the elect. 
that's pretty important and that's a good cross-reference to what he says here. And do it for you. And do it for you. I mean, I, I hate criticisms as much as someone else. As much as you do, probably, maybe more. But it at least helps to know, okay, I believe these things about Jesus and they said Jesus was crazy and so I guess it kind of makes sense they're going to say I'm crazy. Um, it doesn't seem very crazy to me to believe the person who was bodily raised from the dead and talked afterward and explained it. kind of seems rational to me, but, but I'm going to keep talking about it and, and, and keep promoting it because I, I want to do it for the sake of other people and not just keep it to myself. And that kind of helps me see things. I hope it helps you. But you wouldn't do it if you didn't have that conviction. And then it wouldn't be a priority. We, we could have a lot more people, a lot more cash on hand. Right? We could really be influential. We could do a lot more things around the world if we just wouldn't, you know, keep talking about the basic realities of the gospel. I read an interesting article. It was years ago now, but they were talking about um, a different religion um, and all of their different... Um, things they were marketing. And they compared it to what Christians market in, in big, big Eva, okay, in big evangelicalism. Um, all of the different things, whether it be Christian romance novels or Christian, you know, bracelets and trinkets and candles and crazy books that you know aren't biblical and just a Christian, special Christian music. And they just went on all these things. And then they compared this other religion and basically said they do the same thing. And they experience massive growth in sales and numbers of people joining their groups as a result of using these means. And the person, I'm not a big fan of the person who was writing the article, but made the astute argument, maybe the Holy Spirit is actually not in all of the Big Eva stuff. Because if you can do it without the Holy Spirit, presumably, different religion, what makes us think the Holy Spirit's doing it through all of our tricks of the trade? It's thought-provoking to me. If no one's calling us crazy, we probably aren't being clear enough, faithful enough. Okay, let's move on to number six. I wasn't, that, that was for free, too. You guys look like you needed an illustration, so I gave you one. You can thank me for that. The bad news is people remember the illustrations and they forget the text of Scripture. Man, I have a hard job. Not really. Number six, if we're going to have a good, clear priority here, we would want to adopt this priority. The next priority for authentic Christian ministry is being controlled by the love of Christ. Being controlled by the love of Christ. Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. And it seems to be here, love from Him to us. Because it's going to go on to explain His work on the cross. So yes, we are supposed to love Him, that's true, but here it seems to be the love of Christ. He loved us and gave Himself up for us. He, he, he did the greatest act imaginable to give His life for His friends, and He did that, and that compels us, that motivates us, that moves us beyond all other things. Gratitude, I want to do the right thing. My sins are forgiven. I've been reconciled to God. It cost Him greatly. It came to me freely. The love of Christ compels me 
to do what's right. The love of Christ compels me to do what's right for other people too. That's got to be a priority. It's one reason why we would want to keep talking about Christ and how much He loved us and how He loved us and the different dynamics and different aspects of what He's done for us because it helps us to go deeper in understanding the love of Christ. And as we go deeper in understanding the love of Christ, then what ends up happening is we're more compelled to do the right thing. I've I've told people before, I've told men in counseling situations before, what you need is not how to, what you need is a good theology class. Because if you had any understanding whatsoever of what it means for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, you would love your wife differently. You think you know theology, buddy. Not anyone in here. I wouldn't be that forthright. You think you know theology, buddy. You don't know the first thing about theology, I don't think, because if you did, you wouldn't be treating your wife that way. He loves us when we're unlovely, when we're against Him. Paul would even say we're His enemies. And He lays His life down. He's not waiting for His bride, if you will, to get it together and then He'll reward her with good behavior. That's called Arminianism. No, in her worst state, in our worst state, He loves us and gives Himself up for us. That is compelling. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do the right thing. His love is great. His love is grand. His love is undeserved. His love is gracious. I want to do the right thing. We should have that priority as a church. That's why we're going to keep talking about Jesus. So the love of Christ will compel us to do what is right. Let's keep going after the comma. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Oh boy, I kind of want to stop right now, but we, we can't stop right now. Well, let's at least deal with this a little bit. Let, I can help. There's a lot of, do I say clutter about Bible verses? Knowing the fear of the Lord, I won't say clutter, okay? (laughs) There's a lot going on in the verse. Let's skip the middle and we'll understand it better. Then we'll come back to the middle, okay? So to understand what he's getting at, look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Then let's draw an arrow down halfway through, through verse 15 or dot, dot, dot. The love of Christ controls us that those who live might no longer live for themselves. See, love of Christ controls us so we don't live for ourselves, but for Him who for their sake or our sake died and was raised. So I just want you to get that first because that, that, that's the big idea. That's the central thrust of what He's getting at. The love of Christ controls us. He's done this great thing. Therefore, Pat, do the right thing. Therefore, Pat, live for his glory and for his honor or, or, or whoever he's talking to, church and individuals. The love of Christ controls us. It compels us to no longer live for ourselves. I mean, think, if, you li- if, if, this, is, if this gift has been received by you and, and you, you now live for yourself, that's, that's gross, Right? We've seen utter selfish people before, and, and, and not that we all haven't done it ourselves, but we see it in others, and we think, that, that's, that's gross. Do they realize what they've been given? We don't want to be gross. 
we want to respond appropriately. If, if, if he's really loved us in this way and he's reconciled us to God, then we want to do what's right. We want to do what he says. Not to mention the fact that it would be best and it would be good for us and it would be good for other people and on the list could go. The love of Christ controls us. Now let's go and pick up um, the non-clutter important stuff in the middle. <laughs> the love of Christ controls us. It's just, he's being real simple here. Because we have concluded this. One has died. Who's that? Jesus. For all. We have to figure out who the all are. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. And then he talks about being raised. So I think the lived is tied to the raised. What he's getting at is, is the important matter of union with Christ. I don't know how else to symbolize it because than uniting my hands together. Seemingly inseparable. If you trust in Jesus, you've died with Jesus. If you trust in, you're united to him by faith. And if you've Trusted in Jesus, you're also united with Jesus in his resurrection. New life. So he's saying, live a new life now. Live a different life now. The love of Christ compels us. He loved us, and because of his love for us, and, and the Holy Spirit granting faith, we're united to him. Then we're, we, we die with him, we're raised with him, and now we live a different life. That, that's what he's getting at. So I would not conclude that the all would be everyone who's ever, be, ever been born. Because I don't think it fits the context. He's writing to Christians. People who believed. People who would believe. People who have believed. And by the way, I also wouldn't conclude he means absolutely everyone who's ever lived. Because absolutely, what he's, he's talking about union with Christ. And not everyone who's ever been born, excuse me, has been united to Christ. The all in view here would be the Corinthians he's referencing. So I know some people like to use this passage to argue for unlimited atonement in Arminianism. Let me just tell you, you're free to do that. I just wouldn't use this verse. Because you get more than you bargained for. The all here are united to Christ in his death and resurrection, and that's not true of everybody. He's going to go on to say, and all of those people? Well, he does say live newness of life, he's going to go on to say, all of those people are new creations. And not everyone who's ever been born throughout history is a new creation. So, maybe find a different verse. Second Nephi chapter, no, that, that's in the Book of Mormon. Um, it takes away the punch here. Don't read Arminianism in here. It takes away the punch. The punch here is, if you're a Christian... You've died with Christ. If you're a Christian, you've been raised with Christ. Live differently. Live differently. That's what he's saying. Be compelled by that. Be compelled by that. Next time, number seven. We're to regard every Christian as a new creation. That's going to be important because it, it influences how we view people. We're to view, Paul views every Christian as a new creation in Christ. It doesn't matter what their last name is. It doesn't matter which side of the tracks they grew up on. It doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter what kind of job they have or education, color of skin, language spoken. View every Christian as a new creation in Christ. That's next time.
That's number seven. And then finally, the super long one, number eight, at least in wording. I dare you to write it down. <laughs> next priority we'll do next time. Understanding, comma, affirming, comma, and promoting reconciliation with God in Christ by grace alone. That's like one of the Puritans. The Puritans wouldn't put the titles on the, the binding of the book because it wouldn't fit. So we're not Puritans, but that's kind of a puritanical title. We'll do it next time. We need settled convictions about things more important than pineapple on pizza. You all have proven to me that you have the ability to have convictions. Let's enjoy them and have fun with them, but let's make sure we're not people without clear biblical convictions and a church without clear biblical convictions. Otherwise, we're easy prey for the next wolf, McWolfenstein, right? With that said, we should pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Omaha Bible Church. Uh, as imperfect and weak as we are, we are grateful to be able to boast in a Savior who is not weak, who is not imperfect. We're thankful that he loved us uniquely and he gave himself up for us so that we might be reconciled to you. Please have that encourage everyone who's here this morning to either trust in Jesus or celebrate the great reality that by your grace they have trusted in Jesus and have it make a difference in Omaha, Nebraska, in the life of this church and in the life of us as individuals. In Jesus' name, amen.